Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Opinionated Podcast. My name is Chris Kyes. I'm a filmmaker from Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a Christmas light aficionado. My name is Rick Fox. I'm an aspiring author, and uh, I'm lost, and I don't know where I am, and I can only communicate through Christmas lights and podcasts. And I am Binge. Uh, I am just a friend of one of these guys, and I'm also an underappreciated best friend. A best friend? <laughs> a best friend, yes. You you were my best Hong friend. Hong. Oh, oh. <laughs> and we're opinionated. Opinionated. Yeah. <laughs> It's better every time. <laughs> okay. So we actually just finished watching the third episode of Stranger Things. Holy crap. This is oh a my great goodness. episode. This is, I feel like, this is the episode when things really start to kick in gear. The first two episodes is, you know, establishing the world, establishing everyone's relationships to one another. Third episode is, I feel like, when they start to capitalize on the setup that's being that's taking place here. Rick, this is your first time going through the series, so what are your thoughts on episode three? I love it, and I really hate you guys for not letting me watch it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really excited to see where we go next after that episode, but yeah, overall, this, this is probably the best episode I've seen so far. Um, I, I liked it the best. I feel like it drove things forward in the most interesting ways so far, and yeah, I definitely agree. Um, now that they've got all the pieces set up, they can, they can really start playing with it and i think they do an excellent job of it they definitely do some of the most like profound set pieces in this episode throughout the series in my opinion i mean the scene with uh her name's joyce right my uh will's mom i believe joyce? So. yeah yeah joyce's scenes with the uh, christmas lights are all just amazing like yeah the yeah. first so one amazing. where she's communicating holding the ball and it's like doing morse code at her like that was super compelling to watch because you can tell that she kind of knows she's crazy she looks crazy but because you're in that experience with her like you're completely empathetic and it's like yeah this is the only thing that seems to be working. And then the giant Christmas Ouija board is like a stroke of genius. Yeah. No yeah. paintbrush really cool. pun there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love like Winona Ryder playing this character. It is awesome. Yeah. I absolutely. think she does an amazing job as the like mentally breaking down mother throughout this entire episode. Like you can see her like delve further in, like I guess at the beginning with the, when she's holding the, uh, the lamps um, in the morning when her son, her other son walks in and it's like, have you been up all night holding that lamp? Like you can see just like how, like depressed and how like spent she is in that scene. It's she, just she, really good. She looks crazy. Like that's yeah. the thing is that it, it's it's completely understandable from both sides of that. I'm mm -hmm. just amazed she went back into that house after what happened at the end of episode two. Like that oh, yeah, shocked no, that's me. Insane. I was very surprised that she was in. No, that house. thank you, please. I am burning that house to the ground and leaving. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's one of the. I'm not sure if it's necessarily a strength of the previous episode and the show in general, or sort of a falter. But at the end of the episode two. I was a little confused as to why she was going back in the house at all. And the first time I watched it, I was like, uh, okay. I mean, I get that they're trying to say that like she believes Will's communicating through the lights. But at that point, I didn't buy it. Certainly. I thought it was all about the monster. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, it seems kind of crazy that you're staying there. But this episode, like it pays it. It's a payoff that works so well that it's hard for me to like go back and retrospectively be like, all right, do I like this or do I just like where it ends up going? Hmm. Yeah. So, and I think that's a that's a bonus that this being released all at once on like a service like Netflix where you can immediately jump in and there's no, well, for most people, Rick, sorry. <laughs> uh, most people can just jump right into into the next episode without having like that drop off where it's just like, "Oh, well, what did that even mean?" And you were immediately brought back into the episode and like what just happened where most series you have to wait a week. Although it's crazy to think about waiting a week with this show. Oh, yeah. Because every episode. Ah, yeah, it is really crazy to wait to think about waiting a, at like just one week in between watching episodes. Just one week. You I know, mean, that's wild to even consider. You know, oddly <laughs> enough, I don't hate you guys as much right now as I did while I was watching Fast and the Furious. This is just like a, a <laughs> that three is surprising. Because <laughs> you couldn't wait to get to the next episode of Fast yeah, and the Furious. It really did seem like you couldn't wait to get to the next movie. <laughs> well, you know, wanted to be Fast and Furious with them. Anyway, so. Uh, uh, so Nancy's mom gets mom of the year award, right? Like, honestly, like 
Oh, for sure. For sure. Because both of her kids are acting pretty wild. I mean, Mike's playing hooky. He's staying at home. And she's like, listen, I understand. Uh, Her daughter comes home, is giving her tons of attitude after being up way too late while people are getting kidnapped. And she's like, listen, I'm not mad. I just want to talk. And her daughter still runs away. I can't decide if she's like being a really awesome or a really terrible mom. Like, I think we all agree that the dad is like the worst, worst father figure ever created. And I mean, mean, he's not that bad. Like, he's not abusing the kids. He's just ignoring them, which I feel is standard 80s treatment of children. Yeah, fair. Uh, (laughs) At least in cinema. Yeah. Um, But. Like I can't, I can't decide whether I like her or I don't like her as the mom. I love her as the mom. Same I think she's thing, an awesome mom. Same thing, like with the boyfriend. Like throughout watching the series, it's like I, I like okay, I really hate him, but okay, I really like what he's doing here, but I really hate him. See, the thing for me is that I, I despise his friends, and I judge him a lot based on the fact that he has those friends and he hangs out with them intentionally so often. But everything mm-hmm. that he does, so far, I'm finding surprisingly understandable. Like, yeah, I think that's, at this point, like, that's exactly how I felt my first time through as well. Like, I was leaning actually more towards the, man, this guy's the worst side than mm-hmm. you even sound like you are right now. And, uh, but at the same time, if you go back and really look at the things he's saying and doing, he's not necessarily excusing his friend's behavior. It's just that they're his friends. And right. he's, if you really look at some of the situations, like, you know, destroying the camera, for example, like that's definitely the worst I mean, thing he's done so far. Yeah, and it's but a even then, understandable thing to do in that circumstance. Yeah, even then, I mean, it's hard if someone were taking pictures of your girl in a very weird way that was totally not reciprocated or called for. You know, like it, it's understandable that yeah. you'd have a very extreme reaction, be like, uh, "You shouldn't have done that, bro." You know. Yeah, and he didn't even like. If if he were the bully in an 80s movie, that would have gone way farther. Like, that would have been way worse than what actually happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, granted, he may have gone farther than necessary, but even then, like... I'm just saying, like, you could play this in a lot of different ways, depending on who you wanted to be your main character. And because we have both him and the uh, other guy as sort of viewpoint characters at different points of the story... It, it feels much more even-handed than it very much could have. Well, another thing is that, like, Jonathan is, you know, someone we're naturally more sympathetic to at this point because mm-hmm. his brother's missing. Well, and he's he a little a, more of a protagonist as well. He is well. a creep and a weirdo, though. He's totally a creep. <laughs> he totally but the, is. But the show, I think, sort of frames it in a way where we're supposed to be like, yeah, but he's kind of a sympathetic creep. It's not yeah. like he was going to go, you know, fap to these pictures. I mean, you don't know that. I guess we don't know that. We don't, yeah, but, we don't know that. But it's, <laughs> yeah, but it kind of paints him as, like, not necessarily intentionally being creepy yeah he may just have some social awkwardness that he hasn't gotten mm-hmm. through yet it's not painting he, him as a serial killer it's painting him as a very oh, awkward odd. teen yeah, like, he's you an know, awkward he's super teen odd. with some weird tendencies and i think that makes him naturally sympathetic for mm-hmm. us who have you know the audience has the god's eye you know right. for us it's like oh don't do that but especially since we're not just seeing him at high school we are also seeing him having very sympathetic moments with his little brother who you know is now missing to to the point that you were making earlier yeah like it, we get a we get a much more rounded view of this character and i like that they aren't just making like certain characters 100 percent they're the good guys and other characters like they're the total bad guys i like that so many of these characters have uh they're rounded to them they're, they're you know there's good things and bad things about all of them and speaking well, of rounded characters i think in the previous two episodes you weren't completely sold on hopper but at one point you said that you were starting to like hopper? hopper he's the he's the, the detective officer. the officer oh, sheriff i really like him in this episode i i didn't like him at all at first i thought he was a complete jerk but because he is going so far with this investigation and taking it so seriously, he's not the person that I got the impression he was at the beginning. So that that's changed my view on him significantly. Yeah, I, I actually love that about this series that you're he's painted one way at the very in the very first episode and you think, oh, he's just going to be the idiot cop. But he changes so much showed so quickly yeah. into actually being somebody who is like competently investigating this disappearance yeah you you get the impression that he just didn't think that this was a serious thing at the beginning it wasn't that he's incompetent it's that you know he he didn't take it seriously because of his history with this town and its lack of crime but the Mm -hmm. more that he's seeing the more that he's getting invested and the more that it's bringing out of him and i like that yeah 
I, I definitely think that Hopper and Joyce as characters do so much to like propel the show forward. Like obviously like the kids are a huge part of it too. Mm-hmm. But as far as like the adult side of things goes, like they needed someone as awesome as Winona Ryder. And uh, I forget Hopper's actor's name, but he's awesome and he's been in tons of stuff. Yeah, they, a lot, all the actors I think do great in this series. I think that they definitely did a good job with the acting, but I actually don't like the kids nearly as much in this one. Really? They're, yeah. Well, they're, the kids they're, really aren't in there. They're not there much. much. Yeah, they're not there much. And then um, other than Eleven, we don't get much of them that's positive in a lot of ways. Like you get sort of some neutral moments between the kids, you know, when they're showing up and it's kind of cute when, you know, dude has his slingshot that he's going to kill the monster the with. The wrist and, rocket. Yeah. And uh, other kid has brought all the food because he's the fat kid so he brought food mm-hmm. but i really like that scene I it's very too. reminiscent of like lost boys you know mm-hmm. have you all seen lost boys yeah. The 80s? yeah oh so good we should watch lost boys that would be a good one <laughs> but yeah i mean like they they have some sort of neutral moments we get a very sad moment with l and the the you know murdering two guys and uh her that being the only time we've seen her i guess dad show any affection towards her but Overall, I guess it's just the down note that we get at the end. I, I never like these, because, um, okay, for, let me lay this out here. Mike's not dead. Like, I've not seen this before. I haven't looked up spoilers. Mike's not dead. I'm going to go ahead and say that now. That body is not him. It's like some kind of replica that company threw together or some bullcrap like that. Well, that's my so, that's my guess. But, um, and if that's the case, this is where, that's that's what I'm saying. So that's my reaction is based off that assumption. I don't like manufactured drama. I don't like it when it seems like an event has happened mostly to make our characters dislike each other or get in a fight, that kind of thing. That always bothers me within stories. Um, Do you guys feel the same way? Like when you feel, because I think for me, it's that I feel manipulated at that point. The The best works, I think, do manipulate you, but you don't feel it. In a lot of ways. I I think that the show is not trying to pretend like there is something that's still to be told with Mike. Um, I think that given that there's a lot of very weird at this point, you know, not clear pseudo supernatural stuff that's happening. It is possible that Mike is dead, but it's also possible that Mike is like still around. He could be a ghost. He I could mean, be I, think he's in, I think he's in. I think he's in whatever that that weird world that we saw Barb briefly in. Like he somehow got taken there and either got away or something I mean, yeah, else that's, happened. That's super I mean, that, possible. That seems like the most likely based on the communications that he's getting with his mom. I'm not getting the impression that the creature is the type that would just you know somehow manufacture those communications just in order to to screw with her that's possible but it's not the the way that i feel the show is leading me right but even if like that is exactly right for the characters where they're all at right now it's impossible to think of how they could prove that quickly and really easily like tie up that and be like oh like this is really simple to figure out like the emotion that the characters are all feeling is very real and that, the emotion that, that everyone with. is like dealing with is very reasonable and understandable and i think that's what makes it work so well because Elle knows that whatever is going on, she's not going to be able to easily explain to these kids because she's already tried to and they haven't understood. I would say but it's less more her trying to and more an inability on her part to do it. Like well, I get the impression fine, yeah. that she, you know, she well, can't explain same, it. Same not, thing that I'm trying to say. Not, but I'm trying to say like not in a she's done her best to explain it, but like I'm trying to put more emphasis on I think there is a physical or mental cap on what she can say like sure. something has really damaged her in that way sure that's that's I mean, I mean the same thing right like she's she's doing her best with whatever she has available within her uh but she's regardless doing the best she can and is unsuccessful right um in spite of that you know everyone else is seeing overwhelming evidence for them that this is over and i think that that is the heart of the last scene the heart of the last scene is not to convince us that mike is dead and that's the dramatic moment the height of the last scene is to convince us that like there's a rupture between these kids because of this moment For- and that is the big moment and mike possibly being dead is also like a huge big thing too but I think that's the bigger emphasis. I think for me, the bigger issue is that, um, and the reason I think this is because I think it's really strong when you see on Hopper's face, you know, the emotion that he's getting about seeing this body that he assumes is the kid and what we're seeing from um, the mom and her son that's still around when she drives. Like those moments hit for me really strong and really well, home, uh, hit really well. But I think it's the contrived nature of these kids showing up just in time to actually physically all be there, all four of them and see this thing like see hit this body getting pulled out of the water something about all that feels staged and manipulative to me in a way that the rest of the 
things that are happening don't. I would agree in the in a different for a different reason in that um, uh, Lucas and Dustin are surprisingly reserved about this and like trying to like yeah Mike like not they're to the run ones away. that really should have been freaking out it, like it, way more yeah well it makes Based Mike kind of look like a little pansy because well yeah he's been the one who's been like no guys calm down the whole time and then he like makes a big show of it and runs away and it's like yeah I'm not gonna say it's not understandable when you just watch your friend die but if everyone around you is doing something else it's sort of as far as storytelling goes it makes it look a little odd I yeah feel. it just well, doesn't I fit think, with what we've seen so far. i mean i think a lot of that is because he was as far as lucas and um the dustin, dustin and mike and will well that's well the, luke that's the core four lucas and dustin like they are not like they have not bought in as much as to what l is capable of doing right whereas mike is like sold he is completely sold and believes everything that she's that she is telling him and so and he's also you know like i think lucas mentions like you have the hots for her um in this episode like mm-hmm. he, he, he's totally bought in and believes everything and like whenever it comes out like oh he's dead like he breaks like he's like you've been lying to me this whole time how can i like why why have you been lying to me and she just can't like she's unable to say anything that's an interesting perspective that I makes think, sense i think i i think that fits for me really well because and i think that's a big part of my problem with this is that he has been so very thoroughly believing her and you know on her side but the moment they show up to the house where will was and she can't instantly explain the entire thing to him i don't understand why um they all just freak out on her like it seems like there's it doesn't seem well, reasonable Mike's to me still, for them to instantly turn on her that quickly like they do well mike's still on her side but he's you can tell that right. he's frustrated because he doesn't understand either exactly he's like all right listen but I, he's been i know that this is will's house so it doesn't make sense right. what are you but actually pro- trying the to the problem tell is that he's been so understanding with her and so um so good at being patient with and seeming to understand her limitations up to this point that when he instantly turns on her like that and her like and her speech impediment or whatever it is can't you know get through that his reaction to that just seems way too hard for the character we've seen up to this point well i mean but it's also uh just how i think most kids at that age um would react like if they they are on if they are being so emotional like in that that instance it's so emotional like there she's like oh yeah he is here it would make perfect sense it makes sense when lucas and when um dustin dustin do that 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 i buy completely it's specifically him and the fact that this is so against character for what we've seen of him so far that bothers me well i think that one way i'd put it is this uh if Mike didn't at some point have a moment like this, I would probably like Mike less because he'd feel very one note to me. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he at least has a trial with his relationship with L makes him feel more real to me. And I think that the scene we're talking about makes it a, is sort of an argument for it working because to me, it's him starting to lose his patience, but he's still on her side in that moment. And it's only when he sees the dead body that he breaks and is like, why have I been on your side? You're supposed to help us find him. You know, I think that, what Benja's is getting at is that, you know, you can see him been trying to like, you know, argue for her this entire time. And he has this moment where it's like, what have I been doing all this for? Has this been in vain? Why was well, I wrong? He hasn't, to done, and he I hasn't think, done all that much. Like he's let her live in his house and like they went to his friend's house, um, which is the reasonable place to start looking for him. It's completely out of character for him. And that's what, well, no, but no, no, but no, 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 but he's more, been like, fighting. If, if what had happened was they had gotten there and the other two had been like, this is ridiculous. Why are we here? And you know, he had been like, no, let's go. Let's, she says he's here. Let's go look in the house and see what was happening. If there was more to it, if they'd risk something to get there something like that, and that had not worked. And you know, she had not been able to explain it then even more. I think it would have worked. It's just this sudden 180, like, Oh, okay. I'm not going to trust you anymore. Whatever. It's, it just well, didn't no, feel that sudden to me. Like it, that's, no, that's I'm, okay. Well, it did. Well, no, me. I think, I think, um, it, he he's been fighting for L and like doing everything she says. Like no, don't get don't and call. And it's paid off every time so far. And this but time the payoff is. N- if you're is- looking at the payoff as just them making progress to finding Mike, yeah, you're right. There's not a payoff here. But if you look at it as a payoff for the narrative, I think that. For the most part, it works. But what I don't like is the exact staging of everything that happens once they see the body. And kind of what you're getting at, the fact they all just so happen to be there. 
and I no one argue, notices all these kids when they're yeah. screaming at each other. Like it, that's completely unbelievable. That's kind of something that happens throughout the series. I've noticed. Like they'll be yelling. Mm-hmm. Like even in previous episodes, like Michael they'll be, like, be yelling in, in his room or in the yeah or in his room well, and nobody notices. I'm fine with that because kids yell. Like that uh-huh. that makes sense. And it you know kid, parents aren't always going to go check up on their kids every time they yell or mm-hmm. you know yeah. that's reasonable to me based on my memories of childhood. This, this and how is probably I was. <laughs> this is probably the worst example so far. But yeah, like that like, that really bothered me. I think it's just a this particular moment stood out to me because everything else has worked so well that this moment and I, I mean it's not like a massive problem to me it's just a a thing that i picked up on because everything else is so good this moment being less than um i think even less than average for me and it, i realize that isn't the case for you too but mm-hmm. less than average for me uh really made it stand out even more which is a, a a sad thing when you've got a series that's really really good. Anything that doesn't live up to that that really high level that you're expecting from the rest of it is going to seem that much worse to you. Yeah, I. It's conflicting for me because on the one hand I understand all those criticisms and I agree with most of it. I agree with the, the heart of it, which is that in general it just just feels a little off. Um, but everything around it also I think is like some of the best stuff in the show yeah, like definitely. the like, the jonathan and joyce hugging in the street the song yeah. alone and hopper moment, reacting to the body how it's also mirrored with mike hugging his mom like yeah. they, they hug and then it cuts over the same exact mm-hmm. um position yeah mike that, coming home with that song i was like mm-hmm. about to lose it for the the umph time i've seen it just <laughs> now with you guys i was like oh man this is super good yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree like even in spite of my issues with the previous scene that i thought hit very hard but the best scene in this episode was Coming! do you know what I remember oh, that, oh yes <laughs> When he's downstairs <laughs> in his mom's oh. and he just freaks out. <laughs> that face he makes is just the most exasperated, like, Every, and I know that face intimately because I've had that face. <laughs> like, yep. It's like, we all I'm remember screaming at our mom. Yeah. We all remember screaming at our mom that <laughs> she was being unreasonable with her request that we come up and feed ourselves. Oh, God. <laughs> But yeah, so, so good. Uh, I've, I've laughed every time I've seen that scene. <laughs> is there anything else we want to say before we jump into the next episode? Um, I mean, we talked about L a little bit, but I feel like this episode's very much about L and her backstory. The yeah, the the two scenes between you know with the coke can and then with her not killing the cat and then her totally killing those two guys was rough, man. That it, was painful to watch. It definitely sells that like they're going to like train her to be go full Akira. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like that. That was oof, so good. That was an excellent moment to watch. Yeah, I know, and I think that that gives you a or gives the audience a really clear like this is what she's been dealing with. This is why she doesn't talk to people. Yeah, why she doesn't do anything. Like why she's very reserved and kind of skittish around people is that she has been getting this kind of treatment where if she doesn't do what is told of her or what she is gets locked in her, solitary, she gets yeah she gets locked in and solitary. Even worse, when she kills two guys, that's the first time you see her dad compliment her and touch her and get yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. That is messed up and i love it that is such good character building i i love the way that like all of these narrative arcs are starting to like merge together mm-hmm. uh because that's the first problem i had with the first episode when i first started watching it i was wondering like are these arcs all going to like conclude in a way that is satisfying and, and in a way where they all feel like they're part of the same story and at this point you start to really feel i think yeah, everything is somehow connected. You can tell they're building to something cool. And it, it reminds me a lot of Twin Peaks, which is obviously a huge inspiration for this show, where there's not just one mystery, which is, you know, uh, the murder of the girl that sp- spawns all of these questions and investigations, but you start to discover all these other deeper mysteries that are connected to each member of that town. And this show reflects that type of idea, I think, very well. Because it's not just, you know, Will going missing. That's something we're curious about. It's also, what is the deal with L? What is the monster? Where Where is it? What, how does it work? Where does it come from? You know, was it made? Did it yeah, visit that, us? Like, what, is it alien? Is right. it transdimensional? Like, there's just questions on questions on questions on questions. And there's also some, like, you know, just humanistic questions. Like, what are these characters' backgrounds? Like, where yeah. do they come from? What like, happened how, with Hopper? Like, yeah. What's going on with Yeah, what, what's... They talked about, like, how he had a child once. Is that going to be relevant again? Like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of cool things that are... Really? The librarian? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the, the most burning question. The face he makes afterward <laughs> is just like... Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> 
come on, man. <laughs> um, yeah, and the only other thing I could really think to talk about is like, I know we already talked about Joyce and the Lights, but like, just one final shout out because that's like the coolest thing ever. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Love, I, yeah, when the, I saw that, the I loved The final it. part of that where they have the blue lights on R and then U and then the switch to a red light on N is great. I love that. That really sells the danger to me. Yes, this is um, this is also probably the first episode where the uh, the other directorial influences that I think really were heavy on the show come into play, which is that of uh, Wes Craven and John Carpenter a little bit, um, because they start going a little more into like the elements of like teenage horror, where uh, Nancy is starting to get invested in this story, and it's mm-hmm. the teenagers starting to run around do a little bit of investigating on their own. We saw that a little bit in the last episode with Jonathan and the camera. But at that point, it sort of mostly just felt like Creeper and Nancy's starting to get into this world, too. And I like how that's starting to, like, become really cool. And I think yeah. we'll see a lot more of that coming up soon. Yeah. Speaking oh. of which, should we go back into it? Benji, we looked like you're about to say something. Yeah, I was going to ask Rick, what did you think of at least the opening scene that we did kind of glossed over? Oh, didn't man, really that think, was say anything. That was creepy. Um, I I. I'm iffy on how I feel about the teenage sex scene because in my head what I'm going is, okay, that's a terrible idea. I really hope he has a condom. Uh, probably not, though. It doesn't seem like it. it is and the like 80s. all that kind of thing going on in my head while at the same time, you know, Barb's getting murdered or <laughs> eaten or, you know, at least dragged into something very unpleasant. And she might be dead. She might not. I, I don't know. But um, yeah, it was very well done the way that they. Uh, interposed things getting hotter and heavier between the two of them and getting physical in the real world like things getting physical and whatever it is where Barb's at that's that's exactly (laughs) true and it really makes you think that there might be some really creepy connotations with what that monster is about to do to her so that's also not you know it's good staging good storytelling very very well done all in all for what they're trying to do, which is creepy as hell. <laughs> yeah, it's, yep. it's the show starts getting pretty creep, pretty crazy and creepy. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, should we go ahead and go into the next episode? Yeah, I think so. All right. Another from my uh, friend here. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's all right. I'm uh, I'm celebrating. My daughter. She won the spelling bee today. It's <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's right. Odontalgia. That was a word. You know what it means? It's a fancy name for a toothache. Your daughter, she got a name? Sarah. Her name's Sarah. Sarah. So we just finished episode four of Holy Stranger Things. Oh my goodness. So good. a really good episode. Rick, what are your thoughts? Best episode so far. Really? I, <laughs> I like, like the this last one, one a little more. I like this one a lot better. And I think, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that last episode um, was sort of things coming together. You know, people were starting to figure things out. But this episode, people are really gelling together. There was a lot of negative that happened in the last episode. And that's not here so much. There's a lot of positive going on and a lot more interconnection happening. This episode's a little less. Uh, heavy on the feels and a little heavier on the mystery and there's more like progress being made in the discovery of what's going on yeah and I actually love how the fact that even though every episode you have more questions than what you went into the episode with but it actually answers some of the questions you had previously I love how they um where some series they'll just like, oh, we're just gonna make you ask a bunch of questions. <laughs> lost. <clears throat> yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. I couldn't thing. hear you. I lost you there. Uh, yeah. Oh. Um. Anyway, <laughs> where they just keep po- like putting questions and questions and questions and questions on you, and they never. It, there's no payoff. I like this series, especially coming up now, is like it's answering some of those questions, and I and like, even though it's raising a bunch more throughout the entire thing it actually does answer those questions and i love that they actually do that where they could it gives just you a, be yeah it gives you a sense of progress as you're going mm-hmm. through the episode instead of feeling just like okay what's going to oh, happen ooh, this another week? cliffhanger that i have no idea what's going what it, that it, what's going to resolve and won't be resolved at all probably exactly 
because they keep giving you these crumbs, it makes you keep following along with it in a way. And I like that it is staying true to what we've seen so far, but showing us just a little more. It hasn't shown us much more of the the monster, but it's shown us a little more of that. And it's shown us a little more of that that weird hole in the wall and like what it can do as far well, maybe not even what it can do, but you know, by creating that weird hole in the wall where the wallpaper was that, you know, the thing came through last time, like that kind of thing. It's giving us a little more, but it's not something in an entirely new direction. It's something that's building off of what we've seen so far. And Mm -hmm. I like that. I think that's the best way you can do that type of thing. Yeah. I like that it maintains mystery, but it also like answers questions and opens up new questions. Like it, it never gets to the point where it feels like it's really frustrating that you aren't on the same page as the writers. It's rather, I, I would argue that it's fulfilling mm-hmm. that at this point in the story, it's very fulfilling to have all the questions that are presented answered. It's very fulfilling to have already sort of concluded the little mini mystery of how did we already find Will's body and is he still alive or is he not alive? At the end of this episode, I feel like you have a lot of evidence to suggest that Will is totally still alive. He's totally still findable because not only does the body prove to be fake, but we actually get to see him, see not him. just hear yes. him communicating or hear his voice even. We actually get to see him yeah. on the other side, side of-, of the wall. Yeah. <laughs> It's a uh, ah, very, very satisfying how some of the mysteries get concluded in this episode. But also, you know, we don't know everything. And <laughs> that's something I really like about this show as a whole is that it's it's very brave to sort of like keep some elements a mystery for a long time. Like we still mm-hmm. don't really know where Will is, what's going on, you know, wh- how he's alive, how he got to wherever he is in the first place what the monster's goal is, what the monster's nature is. You know, a lot of those questions are still completely as up in the air as they were in episode one, but we're getting sort of the more like, I guess, humanistic mystery solved, which is like, you know, the mystery of is will findable. That yeah, crime mystery is being solved, but not necessarily the sci-fi mystery. I like that. They, they do keep showing us little bits of the monster without really revealing it. And they also do things like showing us a little more of what's going on in the weird monster factory, whatever that thing is that they're monster factory. I don't know that they made, they made 11 (laughs) there for monster factory. (laughs) (laughs) They they made 11 there and she's kind of a telekinetic thing, which can sometimes go monstrous in movies and that kind of stuff. And you know, they actually name, they don't name drop uh, Stephen King exactly, but they mentioned Cujo in there, which has a lot of, you know, like Carrie is what's on my mind. If I'm connecting these two series or this series with, with Stephen King, I'm just saying like, I don't know what to call that place. And monster factory seems the most reasonable thing but I like that we get to see um that those people weren't like driven out of there in the first episode when that guy got eaten like they're still in there they're still trying to figure out something like I like that those guys seem to be in control of what's going on in the town without seeming like they're in control of the monster at all I think that gives an interesting play between the two antagonists that I'm seeing so far in this series yeah it's cool how like deep this sort of political mystery goes where like you know that the Hawkins laboratory, like it's clearly protected either federally or, you know, like by just their own little town military. Thanks for letting but, me flail there when you knew the name of it. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just now, I just now realized I could have corrected you. But I was like, oh, yeah, the Hawkins laboratory. <laughs> I'm calling it the Monster Factory from now on. <laughs> I mean, that's legitimately better. <laughs> You think Although it would have been less, uh, I you think know. something's going on in there, and I just need ten minutes. Why do you think there's anything in the monster factory? I promise you, <laughs> <laughs> that monster is a perfectly acceptable acronym for money on. That's stuff. already wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh so yeah, but yeah, no. This episode is is really. I don't know how I'm going to hold myself back from watching more of the series between now and the next time we podcast. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to get back in that room right now and start watching the next hey episode. Man, uh, I don't have to work tomorrow. I so. do, oh, <laughs> which yeah, me saddens too. me. <laughs> um, I think that the best scene in this episode for me is the uh, one of the first scenes. It may be the very first scene, but it's when Hopper is talking to Joyce about how he used to see Sarah. The mm-hmm. feels in that moment were so real like the the performances from both the actors were amazing and everything the music the cinematography it's just so 
it just seems to be so easily sold. Like they just do such a good job of seamlessly like bringing all these pieces together for a very simple, you know, it's not this big eloquent montage or speech. It's just, I used to do this too. And you believe him like you, Mm -hmm. he's seen, everyone seems very earnest. And so that's something I really like about the show also is that there's no, there doesn't seem to be any clearly painted outright villains here. Well, there are a few that we can definitely say, yeah, that's the antagonist, but of the people we see the most, like, okay. Among our, among our people that we're following. Yes. I would totally agree. That's something I was getting at, like with Steve too, or in the previous conversation is that like Steve could have very easily been painted as just like the douche popular boyfriend that Nancy's eventually going to choose to put aside because he's a douche, but that's not what they're going for here. You know, like he, he, he's just as complicated as everyone else. And he has a lot of douchey characteristics, but he also has a lot of chivalrous ones. Yeah, definitely. uh, I, I, I like that he he seems to be still even now for me waffling between whether or not he's a good guy or a bad guy. I think they're going to fall on good guy. But, you know, his scene where he's like, just don't tell him about the beer like that. Yeah. was That was yeah. super douchey, but also but very, also very, high school. very, very high understandable. School. Yeah, because he doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is that he's going to get his butt whooped if his dad finds out about anything that happened at that party. And Barb also isn't a big deal yet. Like she's yeah. been missing for one day, which... I mean, before the internet, like that would happen, you know, kids are just go spend the night at other people's houses and parents Mm -hmm. would eventually find them and ground them, you know? Right. Um, But also like, you know, where I was going with that is that I genuinely feel like most of the characters are just trying to do the best thing within their circumstance. And Mm -hmm. with the information that you have presented at this point in the the show, you know, I feel like you can believe that with almost everyone, that everyone really just wants to do the right thing. Some people might just be inherently douchey though. Like, like (laughs) like the stepdad and Steve at this point, you know, like Mm -hmm. they, they, they exude a lot of douchiness, but you also forgive some of their qualities as well. Right. Cause they're just trying to make, make their way in this world too right like it's right. not necessarily like there were where they're being actively a douche but you know what they do is i she i really like that because it's so easy with anything horror related to have characters do stupid things for the sake of getting themselves killed so you can show a kill on camera like it it's so easy to do that and like it, no one's gonna a, get mad at this death because they were horrible the exactly whole movie. yeah mm-hmm. yeah like it and that or you know characters will do stupid things so that we can have a, a gore shot here like and that's the entire purpose of their character like that's the reason they exist is to die and that's that's not that's not as interesting to me like if any of these characters gets killed i'm gonna feel it now like yeah. because we are we've had so much time to get invested in them and and know who they are like even barb i feel really bad that she's probably dead like i actually genuinely liked her way better than i liked anyone else at that party um mm-hmm. and that includes the main characters honestly but which is pretty impressive given that she's only been active in two episodes and we've watched mm-hmm. four yeah and you're and being I connected mean, to barb after two episodes with when I mean, she's not even in most of those episodes yeah. and a, a lot of people love barb yeah i mean to be fair she had a lot of strong moments that are very identifiable i think a lot more people understand that like not liking the popular kids and thinking that your friend is making a stupid decision but not being able to stop them that's all very relatable and something we can all kind of latch onto, you know, very strongly. And the fact that, you know, the fact that she gets eaten unfairly like that when she's at what seems to be a pretty low moment for her mm-hmm. is really sad. Like that whole that whole instance is just pathetic in a way. And it's that's that's really heartrending. Yeah. Particularly since we're used to those characters, you know, coming on top, you know. Yeah, it would have been so easy for for that to happen and for the dude's asshole, you know, friend and girlfriend to to die. Like you could have so oh, yeah. easily done that. I kind of wish that happened in a way. Yeah. And that's and they, that's what you should be wishing. Like you should be feeling that that longing for something better to have happened. And I feel like that's a big part of what storytelling, when it's done well, does. Is it makes you really? Absolutely. That's what tragedy should be. Is you wish it had gone a different way, and it so easily could have, but it did like that that's really interesting to me that they're they took that route with it so mm-hmm. what do you guys think about uh the monster fishing sequence where <laughs> they they just strap into the the cable and i like it go a, into the chasm of gooey nonsense i like it horror. a lot although i think it's a little bit i think it's a little bit cliche but i like like i said earlier it seems that this this uh hawken institute is that what she called it uh hawkins lab is i believe what it's called the, yeah. the hawkins lab like they seem to have a lot of power over what goes on in the town like they're able to stage this thing with the boy body and like make a super realistic looking um 
um, fake version of that. But it's interesting to me that instead of going the like, oh, there's this all powerful cons- government conspiracy thing going on. It's very clear that within what's going on with the monster, they are not in control. So that's to me what makes that trope of, OK, we're going to do, you know, send this guy into the thing and we're going to hear what happens to him over the radio, but we're not going to see it. That trope is worked well because it tells us more about the power dynamic going on between the monster and this group. It also so- showcases how many resources they really have at their disposal because mm-hmm. they're literally willing to throw a human life, not just like, you know, tangentially, you know, like, oh, Will went missing, big deal. But also like one of their own people, they're willing to like put directly in harm's way to yeah. like for the sake of science. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. I, I think that's interesting, too, because, you know, it shows that like. This isn't just something that they're desperate to find out more about, but well, it's that it's, it communicates a de- sense of desperation on their side. Definitely. And that I, makes it really interesting from a drama perspective. Yeah. That and what's going on with the leader as well. And it also makes you really wonder like what could possibly be going on that's connected with, with 11. Like you, you have to wonder like, okay, they've got this Demogorgon thing going on. How is that in the same building as whatever was going on with those psychic experiments with 11? Like that, how is that interconnected? Yeah. Cause it seemed like he was super invested. Um, I mean, obviously we don't know what's all is going on, but it seems like the main I guess boss there was super invested in L and then all of a sudden like now that she's gone he's totally into something else he's still trying to get her back but he's into this Demogorgon like it kind of like puts a little bit of like okay what's really going on here like yeah what what, which is more important what like what's going like just the suspense of I guess what's going what but yeah no speaking speaking of 11 Man, it was gratifying to see her to make her to see her make that uh, that bully pee his pants. That was great. Oh yeah, that was wonderful. But let's <laughs> not let's not pass up the, one of the first great montages of this series, the makeup montage. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> that first shot where you just see all the girly stuff getting like pulled out, and it's like <laughs> they're really gonna do that. Yeah, they're yeah. like, and it's it's so funny because it's like twelve year old boys trying to like do makeup and dress up a girl it's like they they know nothing about this they have no idea i made, I made fun of it in the in during the thing like saying that she still to me looked like a boy in a wig but to be fair for the efforts of three 12 year old boys or 10 year old boys trying yeah, to make they, a girl look girly they did, they did a good job like a surprisingly <laughs> yeah. good job so it, i can't be I, too mad at it i can't think of any examples but it feels like a very 80s movie type of solution for them to come up with <laughs> you, you know what i mean well, like, it's like I, the disguise thing is a thing that you could see in in a lot of stuff happening in the 80s but well, I think they oh et didn't they do mm-hmm. something like that in et slightly better i think job that's what here. it is <laughs> she looks she looks at least 20 percent more human than et did <laughs> a little bit yeah <laughs> I also oh. did find it funny, like Lucas uh, in the background of like whenever he's talking to when Mike is talking to L, was like, "Oh, you're pretty," or it looks pretty good, and Lucas and in Lucas the back is like, like, "Dude, I I told you that you were into <laughs> her, and then you are lying and saying." Uh, I really want to see uh, something more from Lucas in at least a future episode. I feel like his constant uh, being the the wet blanket on things is getting a little grating for me personally at this point. The first time I watched through it, I had the exact same response. But this second time, I'm noticing that like it, it's a little more nuanced than I feel like I gave it credit for. And I really enjoy the performance from Lucas. But I, but that's it definitely like it's almost like it's so much on the forefront because he goes from one to ten when he's in that mode. It, it does sort of like come across as like that he's one note. Yeah. But he really is a lot more dynamic, especially in I feel like in this episode in particular, because he he's sort of like, you know, is the let's pull back on the brakes a lot less here. He's mm-hmm. a little more. All right, let's go with this plan. All right. You know, let's I'll, I'll walk through helping lie about her to get us into the radio. You know, he uh, and I think it's cool that he sort of like submits a little after the radio incident and that's what mm-hmm. i think makes it work is that yeah he sees... I'm, I'm really hoping that once now that he's seen this happen he will be more on the side of what they're doing yeah it seems like after this how can you doubt what's going on at least yeah um that said the, during the scene uh with the uh with the radio i really like the way that they did the l flashback for that part as well um it's really interesting to me that the guy was trying to have her do one thing 
and she succeeded technically at what he was asking her to do, but she didn't do it the way that he told her to do it. He was telling her to repeat back the things that was said, but instead she played it over the speaker somehow. Yeah. And I like how confused, but sort of, you know, uh, uh, happy about that he looked. That was interesting to me, because again, it puts another uh, thing on the bad guys to say, like, they're not 100% in control. They don't know what they're doing. Um, and I well, like that. scientists, you know, like well, they're no. basically experimenting and discovering. But at the same time, you're right. Like, but in most most fiction, if you had this like powerful government conspiracy group, they would seem all powerful. Like they would never miss a trick. They would never, you know, uh, have mess ups like this. I love that they're not taking that route. It makes this feel much more real and much more understandable. It also makes L a little more terrifying in concept because mm-hmm. since they you know at this point we would presume essentially created her you would think that they knew how she worked but when she sort of is like i can't do that but i can do this it's like oh well this experiment didn't turn out the way we had predicted but it's turned out you know a different way that's more interesting and unique and you know it opens up different possibilities and i I, it's cool to like sort of watch them discover that Mm -hmm. because like you said they're not in control but they're also not just in general like all-knowing you know like they they're still in the same sense of discovery that we are in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. i i thought i'm also very happy that they didn't stick with like they didn't take a whole episode to um fix the relationship between mike and l like i'm i'm very glad that they didn't just like hang on that because i feel like a lot of shows would really draw out that that um that pain and that mess up you know that they supposedly had but Instead, they pretty quickly get her back on Mike back on her side, and I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I like how the show in general; it's not really paced like television. It's oh, paced a little more it's like so much film. better because of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I mean, they only have eight episodes to get everything on. Yeah, to get it, everything out to you. It's to paced us. like a really long movie, mm-hmm. and I like that approach so much more. And you know, in a lot of ways, it can only work in this day and age when you have such a thing as instant streaming and where you release a whole season at once. But at the same time, like you know i've I've been trying to slowly go through the x files and i really like it for the most part i'd never watched x files but uh some of the episodes it's just like they keep reiterating concepts and ideas and it's like i've heard this like 12 times already and there's like (laughs) hundreds of episodes left (laughs) scully look we've seen so much weird crap why are you not at least kind of on board with me here (laughs) exactly like it's so me a bone (laughs) right or throw me a bone if you know what i mean yeah oh that too come on i mean how long does that get drawn out i don't think it ever happens what (laughs) i don't know are you joking I don't know. I don't. I feel like that's true, but I'm not 100%. I also have like I watched uh, X-Files off and on like all throughout my childhood, but it's the same way I watched Star Trek off and on. Like it would just be on and be like, okay, I'll watch this. But I never consistently sat down, so I don't know. Right. But I don't remember them ever boning. So I bet it's in one of the movies. Uh, I don't think so. I, the the really? reaction that I've heard from those movies is that they are awful for those reasons. Oh, I didn't. No. Oh, wow. oh, for those reasons. Like they they just didn't do what they like. They didn't. They still didn't clear up any of the long running mystery that they were supposed to. So. But what about the long running tension? I have no idea. Oh my, he's probably not Mulder. <laughs> More like smolder. smolder. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, um, back, back to, to this Stranger. Show. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, excellent episode. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. very satisfied. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited that, uh, now, um, Nancy and Jonathan are sort of on the same page. Yeah. It's really interesting that they decided to have her, um, pick up on that. Like that, that was another place that they could have just gone. Like they could have really made it her be really creeped out by him given what he had done. Like that was really creepy. I like that they, I like that she gives him a chance. Like, and it's, it doesn't seem like it's her being overly nice. Like she's still cautious about it, but I like that she is continuing to be a very good person. Well, I feel like if they had Jonathan for even just one more episode, you know, moping about like how frustrating it is to deal with Will being missing and his mom being crazy, I would have been over it. You know, it's like it's like it's forgivable. It's understandable, but it's no longer interesting. But instead, they it seems like at the very right moment, Nancy shows up and she has this one piece of collaborative information that is impossible to ignore because it's impossible to be coincidence and it Mm -hmm. sort of swings him over to okay there's got to be something that's to what my mom's going through here right and i i love there's something magical about how a lot of these characters and a lot of their diverging plots 
converge at like yeah. the most perfect moment for them too. And the show's short, you know, with only eight episodes, but it makes the most of the timing within those mm-hmm. eight episodes, I would argue. That said, uh, is it Lonnie, the stepdad or the Lonnie? Yeah. The jerk yeah. Sto- showing up at the end of this episode is incredibly threatening to me, you know, in a real I way. Like I he, honestly can't remember what happens with him showing up. Like, like I just, I, don't I can't remember. see it being good. They're like with the way that they've set this character up, maybe they'll give him some level of nuance like they have the other characters, but I don't believe it like i think that he is going to do something that will further make things much worse like that's instantly what i think when he shows up he's definitely the least likable character like i said earlier almost every character Uh, has a little bit of likability i I would disagree really say the bullies and i guess uh steve's friends my thing with the bullies and steve's well with the bullies in particular the bullies like they are so one note Mm -hmm. and so cliche that i feel like them they're more like tools in the story as opposed to actual characters in the story that's fair and for i feel like they're used to appropriate effect and it's forgivable but lonnie has this little bit of like i almost wish he was a little more likable because then he would fit within the rest of the cast better you know Mm -hmm. because everyone else has like one element of likability and i feel like with him saying things like listen you know i came out to city for these reasons if it was a little more understandable and I could be a little more on board the Lonnie train. It probably would have been better. But, yeah. you know, I, I feel like get aboard the Lonnie train is a pickup line that he's used. Uh, probably used it on Cynthia. Yeah. 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 That's without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, but, but we'll yeah. see what, but what happens. Hopper being a cop. Oh, so like good. I loved that bar scene with oh, him, absolutely. with him and the guy that found the body like that. Like you kind of see a little bit in the opening sequence where he's talking to uh, Joyce about his daughter and how like how he was still seeing her and stuff like that. You see him open up and then he has this scene with uh, the guy that discovered the body. And, you, you know, you can tell that he's just trying to get information out of him. But there's very real moments that he has that just come out of nowhere. I, I don't know about you, but I found that like when he was talking about like how proud he was about his daughter's spelling bee, I found that as way more threatening than any actual threat could have been. Like I was getting a distinct impression that this guy was going to mess the other dude up. And that's why he, like he was starting with this. Like it was because of the emotions that have to be behind uh, his daughter's disappearance and how that's connected with this thing bringing that up in that way here was just like oh oh this is this he's gonna that guy's gonna get trash it's yeah. gonna be awesome the dramatic irony is i think what makes mm-hmm. that work so well because the other guy wouldn't have any context to know about exactly. any of that stuff and that's what makes it really cool yeah and but just how coolly he's just like hmm that's interesting so why do you why are you lying to me man it's like yeah. as a complete stranger it's like mm-hmm. how do you respond so like, off- <laughs> yeah it's so off-putting and it's just like the guy just reacts like me personally watching the show, I was like, if somebody was acting that way, I wouldn't be as big of a douche as I was, like, as he was to him. Oh, thanks for ruining the game. Like, you're li- you're literally lying to him about something that's very serious, yeah. and then you act like that? I was like, I, I, I wanted to punch him in the face at that point, and was greatly happy whenever the very next scene is him beating the crap out of that guy behind the bar oh absolutely he was full renegade oh yeah which which on the one hand like part of me and i feel felt this way both times i've watched it part of me wishes like the transition of him from like you know sort of bored straight cop to renegade i'm gonna get to the bottom of this no matter what was a little smoother but at the same time, like the pieces are all there, mm-hmm. you know, like it's totally understandable when you lay it out on paper. I just feel like there's a moment where we sort of like, I guess, jump the shark a little bit and I he's, can't define where it is. He's going way out on a limb on this episode. Like he is probably doing stuff that could mess up his career. Beating that bad. guy up and drawing yeah. a cop on a car just because they're drawing hanging out for, you know, you said, you said drawing a cop on a car. You said you meant drawing yeah, a gun. Yeah, he pulls out a little cop. Did you see <laughs> he that? He pulls out tiny. A little cop holding a giant <laughs> magnum. Like, that's oh what he goodness. pulled out. If you look real close, it's actually a miniature version of tall Rick Moranis. Oh. Which is just regular guy. Rick Moranis. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh. Honey, I shrunk the tall Normal version of me. Normal-sized Rick Moranis. <laughs> 
That's oh, just mean, Rick. Which is our nickname for the <laughs> cop that's always saying the really insensitive thing in this show, BT Dubs. Yeah, in case that wasn't clear from his incredibly Rick Moranis-like appearance. Yeah, like, he goes from, like, <laughs> zero to 100, I feel like, pretty quickly. But, like, at the same time, you know, he knows people are lying. He knows that there's something suspicious going on, you know, with, like, the they're lying about the tapes, yeah. you know, at the, uh, at the Institute. Yeah. But at the same time, like... Going from there to straight up beating up a dude for lying to you when you don't know the circumstances behind why he would have lied yet or, you know, and then going into the morgue and cutting up the body. Like Mm -hmm. how horrible would have been if that was a real body? And it's like, well, uh, I found out nothing here and I just desecrated a body. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. He he takes some serious risks, but I like that. It's so it would have been so easy for them to give this guy a dead daughter backstory and not use it well, but they've done it in such a way that it really does make you understand the drive that he has for this. Um, and it really plays into this particular story extremely well. And I'm, I'm very proud of him for that because that's that's such a common. There's so many tropes in this series that are so often misused and they're just nailing everyone like why they work. And it's so good. I agree that like the the backstories a big part of what makes it work uh but i just wish it was a little like smoother i almost wish i almost wish it took one more episode before he went this far yeah i I definitely agree i I can definitely see where you're coming from that i think it works for me because it's where i want the character to be at the end of this episode because this episode is so much about people getting just a little one step closer to what's going on but i can definitely understand one more piece of information that came to him Mm. out of his own outside of his own volition right and that's what drives him right like something else that's like completely irrefutable that he's like there there is definitely something wrong like they're if, lying well, I, this guy is the one who found the body for one like thing like how did he find that guy at all you know like that's another thing well he's a cop he probably has access to the reports yeah, about it, that it's not a big it's not a big deal but like it seems to be an opportunity for some slightly better you know like transition into storytelling hmm. yeah like if the the coroner guy that he talked to had been a little more like yeah they wouldn't you know j- just something from that guy if he'd given him like something like the body looked wrong or something like that it might might work well but, i um, think i think it i think it was appropriate that it ramped up when it did because in the last episode he's asking questions at the hawkins institute clearly getting lies from them basically saying it's like when we looked for him it was raining right yeah like that night it was raining and it was clear that it right. wasn't raining in the footage. So there's already line number one. He's now talking. They find the body and the coroner says, oh, yeah, they didn't let me look at the body. Yeah. Oh, why? I don't know. They just wouldn't let me look at the body. It's just a kid. It's something like he would expect from JFK. Like if it was the uh, president. And it's just like piece by piece. You know what they I kind of wish it was? I kind of wish that like immediately afterwards if like the guy who was originally going to do the body like went missing himself or Mm. like got or was found dead somewhere or something right something that like him hopper being involved in the investigation would be able to very quickly very clearly and very cleanly be able to identify a huge conspiracy that's now potentially even threatening himself because he's involved in the investigation pretty much the same extent that that coroner would have been. You know, honestly, though, I really like that they don't, he doesn't have it all spelled out now that I'm thinking about it. I like that because it tells me something more about him. He's going out on a limb. He's risking something by doing what he's doing. And I like that. That makes me more invested in in him as a person. Like it makes me, it makes him more admirable to me that he's willing to to risk this way that he is, that he does. Well, it would still be a risk though, right? Not if if he's certain, not if he's got given like every piece and he knows that something's going down. Not in the sense that he would be risking being right or wrong, but in the sense that he's risking getting more tied up in this and having his own life on the line and also like he's doing things out of procedure where there are going to be way real, out of procedure. way out of procedure yeah where there's- like i said that's that's what i like about it is that mm-hmm. he's going so far as to punch this other cop in the face and get in there like he there are going to be repercussions from that like mm-hmm. no matter how right he is or wrong he is that's gonna have echoes on his life i i don't get i didn't get that impression like that's that's it doesn't it seems to me like he is going to be justified in the end if he figures out the mystery. And to me, like that's not risky. I think I would I would feel that way if it if they were going up against something else. But because they're going up against something that clearly has at least some level of government backing behind them or um, perceived yeah or that level of power like the level of power that the institute has to to be able to do what they've done that tells me that 
this is a very, very uh, risky move and something that could be swept under the rug as easily as, you know, okay, they have another body and it looks like him this time and there's no super cool cop to investigate his death. Meh. We'll just have to see where the show goes forward, I guess. Yeah. Benefits of me having seen it. <laughs> I'm going to go home and watch it to spite you two. Nah, you oh, will do funny. no such thing. Rick, you have go- no power over me, Chris Rick, guys. you're going to go home and go to sleep. That's what you're going to do. Hey, guys, I'm, true, I'm looking at the Google Calendar, and uh, I see a pending uh, re-watching of Too Fast, Too Furious in our future. Oh, okay. It says, if Rick watches West of Stranger Things schedule. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to... Sorry, I'll cut that out later. I like how you pretend that you have that power. <laughs> there is nothing in this world that the would Google me Calendar re-watch. is mine. There's nothing that would make me rewatch those movies. No, there mm, we'll see. <laughs> so anyway, someone blew up the Dr Pepper plant. Oh no. No more Dr Pepper for Rick. Someone's going to die. That's what I just heard. <laughs> Someone's a dead man. <laughs> oh, anyway. I mean, so so I that all of our thoughts on season one, episode four. Yeah. All I'm, right. I'm very uh, excited to see what will happen. Me too. We'll look forward five. to that in a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor all right, Rick. All right, guys. Well, we will see you on the next episode of Opinionated. Check out the website, Opinionated Movie. Wait, OpinionatedPodcast.com. <laughs> Go there and vote on the. Uh, whatever we're gonna put as our it's up to you man <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll figure out some interesting question to have as a poll and you which can of these find is out the strangest the thing nah. <laughs> um, also send us an email to opinionatedmoviereviews at gmail.com or and give us a rating on the iTunes store it helps us out a lot so yeah alright <laughs> bye bye, bye. bye.